Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional and the journey of learning that stretches across IT professional careers and across the full stack of technologies in today's modern data center and in the cloud. As always, my purpose here on the podcast is to share practical, usable, actionable, real-world information on various technologies and products across the full stack and moving up and down and uh, uh, you know across silos, all the things that uh, modern IT professionals need to have a look at or should be having a look at as they broaden their skill set. And uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. I am joined by Luke Hoban with uh, Pulumi, and we're going to be talking about uh, the technology of the same name. So Luke, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Super thrilled. So uh, why don't you just take a, a quick second and sort of maybe introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background, where you came from, what brought you to Pulumi, and then we'll from there dive into what this is all about and what it means and how people can put it to work. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so my name is Luke Hoban, uh, CTO at Pulumi. Um, and Pulumi is a company that's been around about two years, and we'll talk a little about that in a second. My background is I um, spent a lot of time at Microsoft actually working on developer tools. Uh, I worked on programming languages like C-sharp and F-sharp and JavaScript and TypeScript. Uh, and I worked on sort of IDEs and tools uh, around development for, for application developers mostly. Uh, and so I did a lot of work in that space. And then I moved over to AWS and worked on EC2. And so I worked in the infrastructure space in the cloud. Uh, got, a, got a very visceral taste of kind of all the transformation that's happening there. Uh, and really, Pulumi has been sort of a, a chance to bring those two worlds together, to bring some of what we learned about uh, how we can make application developers really productive, um, how we can scale up and enable them to deal with the massive complexity of today's application development, and bring a lot of that into the sort of cloud infrastructure space, uh, where there's a lot of really latent needs for uh, for folks to bring in more of those tools to do proper sort of software engineering and, and robust uh, scalable systems engineering uh, in the cloud. Awesome. Sounds like uh, your skill set and your background uh, are a great fit for sort of the things that I like to talk about here on the podcast. So I, well, once again, want to reiterate, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to join. So uh, obviously you're, you're CTO Pulumi, so we're going to be talking about Pulumi. That's our, our key focus here. Um, I first started looking at it and I was actually a little confused about what it was. So maybe the first thing we do is we just uh, give folks an idea of where this fits into the broader portfolio of technologies that are out there. Yeah, sure. So, so really think about the core kind of Pulumi uh, project. And Pulumi is an open source uh, project, and then uh, we have a company that's uh, that's sort of supporting that that open source project. And Pulumi is really focused on sort of I think about it as infrastructure as software. Um, so it's really an approach to infrastructure as code, uh, to how we can uh, describe and deploy and manage our cloud infrastructure that uh, really brings more software engineering practices into uh, that. And the the key piece of that is that. We bring the ability to use uh, real programming languages, uh, so things like JavaScript, uh, Python, Go, uh, and more to come. And we let folks use those uh, languages and all of the ecosystems and tools around them to describe and manage and version uh, their infrastructure. Um, and so this is a system that works across uh, public cloud, whether it be AWS, Azure, GCP. It works across uh, Kubernetes, OpenStack, vSphere, um, a variety of other platforms as well. And so in any environment where you're kind of working with, uh, with cloud infrastructure, uh, want to robustly manage that and scale up the complexity of the cloud infrastructure that's being managed, uh, Pulumi is a tool that can let you do that using uh, the full breadth of capabilities of some of today's most popular programming languages. Gotcha. And, and that's, that's really helpful for, for newcomers, at least when I first started looking at it, I was looking at Pulumi and Ballerina kind of at the same time. 
and ballerina being its own language, and then Pulumi not really being its own language, but instead being, for lack of a better term, a library or an extension for existing languages. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, no, I think a key a key thing about Pulumi is that it's it's existing languages and it's existing cloud platforms. And so we're not sort of inventing a new platform as a service offering. We're not inventing a new programming language. We're really just trying to bring the best of what's being done for programming languages and developer tools for application developers today and let folks apply that into the infrastructure space. And so when we say you can use AWS, we mean the entirety of the AWS API is available for you to work with and program against using Pulumi. And then we do offer some higher level libraries to make that even more productive, but 100% of what's available on every one of those platforms is also there for you to just work directly with exactly like you would have whether we're using CloudFormation or Terraform or any other tool that you might've been using in this space before. Gotcha. Okay. And I think I know the answer to this, but just walk me through why somebody who wants to do infrastructure as code would choose to do Pulumi as opposed to one of these more, for now at least, well-known tools like Ansible or Terraform or CloudFormation or something like that. And like I said, I think I know the answer. I have a couple answers, but I'd love to get your perspective and then we can kind of bounce it back and forth from there. Yeah, no. So I think the you know using programming languages is really kind of a means to an end by itself. That's not uh, that's not a sort of value proposition. But really, what we find is that by bringing programming languages in, we get a variety of software engineering benefits that are really important, uh, and we've seen the success of those in that application development world. And that starts with simple things like uh, type checking. Uh, so I get you know uh, on the fly, early, quick feedback about the correctness of my infrastructure, um, and I can react to that uh, as I'm developing it. I get tools, so all the kind of IDE tooling and things that just adds to the developer productivity, uh, I get that brought in as well. Testing, uh, testing is a thing which is really an underutilized part of the sort of cloud infrastructure uh, um, developers tool chain today. Uh, we think there's a ton of opportunity to bring more first class uh, testing into the cloud infrastructure space and in many of the same tools uh, that we've seen in application development as well can apply there. Uh, And then really the most important one is kind of reusability and abstraction. Uh, And this is a place where we see, even for folks doing Ansible or Terraform or any of these sorts of things today, uh, what we see when we go in and talk to to customers is just an an amazing amount of copying and pasting, uh, maybe some text templating, uh, but very, very sort of primitive techniques for reusability and abstraction. Uh, And that is something that, you know, if you went and took that over to your application development team, they wouldn't let you get past a code review with that, right? They wouldn't let you copy paste a, a thousand lines of code from one code base over into another and just call that a day. They would want you to be building reusable abstractions, to be defining those, to be putting proper interfaces on those things and, and then sharing them at the interface level. Uh, and all that's because as you're building larger and larger scale systems and trying to compose these in very large organizations, uh, taming that complexity is really critical to being able to manage and understand those systems and evolve them over time. And we believe that all the same problems that, that have been solved over the last 20, 30 years for application development are problems that are, are, are present problems and are going to be increasingly important problems for uh, infrastructure developers over the next uh, five to 10 years. You know what I didn't hear you say, at least not explicitly, that I was expecting you to say, and that's okay. Uh, what I didn't hear you explicitly call out was sort of the limitations that many of the infrastructure as code uh, DSLs have in terms of either a lack of functionality, inability to do loops, or uh, true uh, control structures, right? Yeah. Um, whereas I think that uh, you know using a, a quote-unquote true programming language obviously gives people a lot more flexibility in that regard. 
No, that's absolutely true. And that, you know, that is just a basic thing about, about code is, you know, hey, you get for loops, hey, you get if statements. Um, going further than that, you also get all of the libraries available from within, you know, NPM or PyPy or whatever environment you're in. And that means if you need to, you know, uh, read a configuration file off of disk and parse it and then use that to parameterize your your uh, infrastructure deployments, you can do that using libraries that know how to parse those those file formats. Uh, there's a variety of different things you may want to reach for in that toolkit that uh, that may not be available as a you know uh, inside a CloudFormation or Terraform. You're very constrained, of course, in, in kind of what libraries you can use, uh, what kind of logic you can embed inside your application. And one one really important thing I should note actually is um, you know we we let folks use real programming languages, but it still really is infrastructure as code in the same way that that folks are generally used to, where the, the program itself describes the desired state, uh, and then Pulumi will, will you know, drive the cloud platform to that desired state. Uh, but it's not like using a Bodo script or something like that, where you're just scripting against the cloud and, and sort of imperatively uh, changing the state of it. It really is still a desired state model uh, with a sort of robust infrastructure's code mechanism. And, and the last part that's a bit more subtle is really that by, by injecting real code into this, uh, you kind of have complete flexibility on what you inject into the kind of deployment pipeline. And so if you need to deploy one resource and then run some sort of arbitrary scripts that uh, hit some HTTP endpoint or SSH into some machine and do something, and then you want to deploy another resource after that, you kind of have the complete flexibility to do that in whatever way you want because you have all of the, flex, you know, all of the features of a, a programming language available to you. Um, and so that sort of means there's no hard boundaries on uh, on what you can express. Yeah, those are those are excellent points. Um, so you mentioned a couple of things, and I wanted to dig into that a little bit before we uh, before we carry on. So one was around the uh, the mention of you know imperative versus declarative, which is where most of these DSLs describe themselves, right? So Terraform mm-hmm. or CloudFormation or Ansible or whatever. And the idea of declarative and realizing desired state then generally brings up the the topic of um, uh, idempotence, right? right. Um, and that is, you know, repeating an action again doesn't like redo things. It just ensures that your state is realized, right? Um, and I'm curious, like a lot of the, the it, it appears from to my perspective, at least, that a lot of the limitations in the declarative structures that people use today are all based around um, this, I don't want to say a need, but like a, a, a perceived conflict between um, a declarative programming model and uh, the need to, to have idempotence versus, um, you know, sort of the traditional imperative model that most programming languages seem to embrace. And so I'm wondering if somebody, and, and maybe, you know, we can defer this until later if, if we're getting too far ahead, but I'm just thinking like, if somebody wants to use Pulumi, do they have to take extra steps to ensure that they are guaranteeing idempotence and that realized state? Or is that something that you guys are taking care of for them through the integration with that particular programming language? Yes, I mean, it's, it's a great question. It's something that does, you know, folks do kind of, uh, when we say real programming languages, they immediately kind of are thinking about some of those challenges. And, and that's why we, we really do emphasize that it's, it is a desired state model. So it is, um, I think when folks sit, think declarative here, uh, they think that both sort of the declarative uh, state and the declarative language which they use to describe that state are both part of the same thing. And what Pulumi really does is pulls those apart into two separate questions. And it says that we can still have all the benefits of uh, sort of a declarative state uh, that we want to get to, but that we'll actually construct that declarative state using a program. Uh, and so that means that, you know, technically a, a, a Pulumi programmer could, you know, inject a, you know, a math.random call into their, into their program uh, but, uh, 
But generally speaking, they won't do that. And to the extent that they do have any sort of uh, you know, dependence on the environment, like maybe they'll read a configuration file off of disk to parameterize their, uh, their infrastructure deployment, that sort of thing really is actually very natural and doesn't sort of deeply, deeply break that idempotence of the deployments. It really is just another way of them expressing what the desired state is by using a file on disk or some configuration file in their, in their backend. Uh, and so we generally find that, uh, that folks don't lose any of those benefits they kind of expect from a declarative model. They just get a f more flexible way of authoring it. And you can sort of think about this like when, uh, when folks often reach for, with, with these declarative models, they often reach for text templating languages or something like that, which let them use a more expressive format to construct those, uh, those declarative files. And that's sort of like a very little step in the direction that, that Pulumi is going, but it's still very constrained. Um, and it doesn't, again, when those systems, you don't lose any of the item potents, but you still have that desired state that you're describing at the end of the day. It's just that you have a little bit more flexibility. With Pulumi, we say, well, why not just have all the flexibility uh, to write an arbitrary program to compute that? Okay. All right. That makes sense. And yeah, the, one of the first things that, uh, as I began to try to understand Pulumi, and I'm, I'm no programmer by any stretch of the imagination, um, but one of the things that, that, you know, one of the questions that stuck in my mind was that very question is like, okay, well, if I'm going to write this in, you know, JavaScript or TypeScript or, or Python or whatever, right, then what additional work do I have to do that would normally be sort of hidden under the covers for me when I have this, as you described it, combined state and com or declarative state and declarative language sort of bonded together, right? Yeah, and in general, I think you'd say the answer is, you know, we find... Um for the most part, you know, at the, the rawest level, uh, anything you could do just with a declarative format, you just kind of, is pretty much one-to-one -one with Pulumi. Um, you write the same sort of, uh, you know, constructs in your in your Pulumi program. What gets interesting, though, is when you do take advantage of, of more of the richness, you do take advantage of for loops or of reading files off of disk for configuration or of building higher level abstractions that you can reuse across parts of your application, share within your organization, share within the open source community. Um, and that ultimately by doing that now, folks can start moving up and, and sort of expressing things in at higher levels of, of abstraction than just the raw primitives and reusing those raw primitives every time they build a new piece of software. Okay. I know we're, we're deviating just a little bit from our, our sort of pre-agreed agenda that you and I had discussed, but I have a couple other questions that I, sure. that, are, that are really fascinating to me, at least to me, and hopefully the readers, readers, I'm so used to blogging, I still always say readers instead of listeners. Hopefully the listeners will find these questions useful as well. So first question is, um, a lot of the DSLs that people use when they do infrastructure as code, uh, Ansible, Terraform, CloudFormation, okay, maybe not CloudFormation, but a lot of them are, are have a, a relatively low learning curve, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think that is a is a is a, an advantage for them because it encourages folks who uh, maybe do not have a strong you know traditional software development background, right, to get into the ideas of, of infrastructure as code and begin to define what their infrastructure looks like in um, a model that they can then, you know, check into version control and track changes and, um, you know, do rollbacks and, and all the various, you know, sort of benefits that yep. we describe when we talk about infrastructure as code. But now we're talking about throwing somebody into, you know, sort of a full-blown programming language, right? And do we, do, do you think that maybe that might hinder some folks who might otherwise benefit from embracing infrastructure as code principles from really going down that path because of the, steeper learning curve that would be involved if they don't already know um, one of the programming languages that Pulumi supports? Yeah, so I think we see, we see kind of two things. One is, uh, well, I'll start, start at one end. So one is that we actually see a lot of folks who are actually uh, staying away from infrastructure as code because 
they know programming languages and, and don't uh, have a lot of confidence working with these uh, sort of bespoke DSLs that are available in this infrastructure as code space. And these tend to be folks being pulled in from the application development end as they move into more cloud native infrastructures. Uh, a lot of application developers are, are needing to own more and more of their own infrastructure. Uh, and that sort of uh, infrastructure ownership is moving from just a pure centralized IT organization into a lot of different parts of, of the development process. And so we're seeing a lot of folks who really want to take more ownership over their cloud infrastructure and over parts of their cloud infrastructure, especially as you look at you know, Kubernetes and managing applications inside Kubernetes, which tends to be uh, very close to the application development teams. Uh, and then even in things like serverless and in managed uh, services on top of the cloud providers. Uh, those are things which version very closely with uh, with the applications, and you, you see a lot of desire to own that close to the application development team. And so a big part of our audience is coming from folks who, who do have that uh, experience with JavaScript or Python or what have you, um, and uh, really don't feel comfortable with all of the tools they lose when they move over into uh, a DSL or a YAML file or something like that um, and are copying and pasting things all over the place. So that's one audience where we really think we're actually expanding the reach of infrastructure's code uh, deeper into uh, into the, the sort of application development realm. For kind of the pure infrastructure side, I'd say we've we've seen a big part of our audience uh, so far is coming from that kind of traditional, coming from CloudFormation, from Terraform, uh, from other tools like that. And typically that's folks who... Uh, have spent time with those tools and have really hit a lot of the limitations. Uh, and for them, they really see viscerally from their own experience the value of having that flexibility of a real programming language. Uh, and there maybe is, you know, an incremental learning curve there because there's that, you know, that they need go do need to go and learn some basic JavaScript or some basic Python. Uh, but that that is well worth it for them at that point because uh, they they're, they need uh, the the sort of flexibility that that, um, that it offers to continue to scale and to continue to sort of uh, treat their infrastructure with the robustness that they feel like it needs. Gotcha. And, and your answer exposes a, a bias in my own thinking. Obviously, I come from an infrastructure background, having spent years in that space. And so naturally, I tend to think um, more from that direction. But your, your point about bringing folks that are closer to the application, application side of the house, right? those folks who are actually writing the applications or maybe even SREs who have a, a strong programming software development background, giving them this flexibility obviously does, to your point, expand the number of folks who are using infrastructure as code. So that's a, that's a great point. Um, all right, so the, so the second question, sort of unexpected question I wanted to ask was, um, I, I was doing some thinking about infrastructure as code a little while back, and uh, I was prompted by another article I wrote, or another article I read, to think about how we optimize code. And on the software development side, we typically optimize code for uh, something you mentioned earlier, and that's reusability. So we go for... Uh, you know, strong adherence to the dry principle. Mm-hmm. Um, we we build um, code that is modular and reusable, um, so that you know instead of explicitly saying, "Okay, here I'm going to define this infrastructure object," I'm going to build you know a module or a, a function or a you know a subroutine or whatever term you want to use to do that. Then I can supply different parameters and I can end up reusing that over and over and over again, right? And I wondered, sort of out loud via a blog post as well, if for infrastructure as code. We were optimizing for the wrong thing when we optimized in that direction. And should we instead be optimizing for readability, for the ability for someone else to easily comprehend and easily debug the code that we wrote um, later on down the road? Because we're talking about infrastructure and not um, a just a software program that runs, right? If, if something runs incorrectly, you know, with a, a non-infrastructure as code sort of thing, 
Um, there might be data affected, true, depending on the application, but usually it's it's a crash or you know whatever, right? Um, oh. And then here we're ending up with you know maybe uh, the story of the the guy who changed the code for Netflix, you know, ten thousand too many servers overnight, right, or something like that. Yep. Um, and so I was just curious on your thoughts on that. Should when we're when in, in infrastructure as code environments, should we be optimizing for reusability or should we be optimizing for sort of readability? This is a great question. It's actually interesting in my mind, and I, you know, I come from a little bit of bias coming from the kind of application development side. Um, but in my mind, those are actually uh, very related things. They're not actually opposing things. And when I think about it, like one of the analogies I often make is uh, is kind of where application development was, say, 30, 40, 50 years ago, uh, with everyone doing like assembly code. And that was the sort of the, the state of the art for how you would have to, to write applications. Um, and it's very, you know, you kind of look at it, it's very flat. It's very low level. Um, there's very little structure on top of it. Uh, and it led to both of those problems. It led to incredibly uh, low reusability. Um, and when there was reusability, it was giant copy-paste. Um, it was very hard to, to reuse across code bases because they use different conventions for calling conventions and different, uh, different things like that. But it also led to incredibly poor readability. Uh, there was no structure in the code, and so it was very hard to figure out what was going on. It was very hard to, to work at the level of the sort of logical structure you had in mind for that code base. Uh, as you were debugging or trying to understand it. Uh, and so by, by working at too low of a level, uh, it actually introduces both of those problems at the same time. And I sort of think of infrastructure as code as being in a similar state right now, where uh, every code base I see is basically working at the lowest possible level all the time. Uh, and there's very little abstraction, very little reuse. And because of that, the the kind of level of, of abstraction that, that folks come in when they're trying to read the code base is also, they're kind of immediately dumped into every detail of every piece of the infrastructure. They're looking at a 100,000 line code base to try and understand what's going on uh, with very little structure, very little ability to sort of uh, figure out what is the overarching structure of this. And now I've figured out which piece I want to look at and now I'm going to dive into the details of that. And so I actually think that, that uh, reusability and, and componentization and nice interfaces between components is really a key part of actually creating readability. And I think that, you know, you still have to give people the ability to look behind the scenes, go into, you know, go to definition on that, on that piece of the infrastructure, understand the exact details of what's going on. Uh, but I really think ideally and, and, and well done, and I think in the way that sort of Pulumi helps folks to do this, we actually can encourage both of those to be done together um, to gain both the benefits of reusability and readability. Yeah, that, that's actually a great point now that I think about it because it really all comes back to sort of where you come from, right? And if you are someone like yourself who has a background in software development and developer tools and languages, it's going to make a lot more sense to you to, to come up to a control structure of some sort that you know pulls in some you know, parameters or whatever and then calls out to another function that does that as opposed, and it does that, you know, three times or whatever to create three instances or three VPCs or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. object we're creating, right? As opposed to looking at a DSL um, or even a, uh, you know, a, a section of, of, of code from a, from a full function programming language and seeing us repeat the code over and over and over again, right? There's other things I'll, I'll note, like uh, one of the examples, we have a library, for example, uh, that just uh, just less folks stand up a, an EKS cluster, so an Amazon uh, Kubernetes managed uh, managed Kubernetes service uh, cluster, and and that one's an example where you know if you were to do that with the raw cloud formation and, and underlying APIs there, um, it's probably you know ten pages of of infrastructure you've got to describe, 
uh, it's a combination of some cloud formation stuff, some bash you have to write, some uh, some Kubernetes uh, YAML you've got to deploy in using kube control, and then some more cloud formation, and then some more Kubernetes uh, YAML. And so stitching that all together and, and sort of uh, and doing that is incredibly complicated. And uh, from a readability perspective, very hard for someone to come in and understand how all those pieces are tied together. And so what we can do in Pulumi, for example, is just give you a library which says I can say new eks.cluster. Uh, and I can parameterize that by the, you know, the 30 or so different parameters that are the key sort of uh, dimensions of a parameterization. And that means for the sort of 90% case of creating an, an EKS cluster, I don't have to always dive into all those details. And of course, I can, if I need to, go and, uh, go and you know, muck with things behind the hood of that. Um, but I don't always want to or need to uh, go into that full level of detail uh, to, to work with a managed Kubernetes service. I may want to just use the simple interface. Um, and that ultimately is, you know, giving you that same kind of simple interface that maybe a platform like GKE has out of the box. Uh, but we can put that on top of things like like EKS or other other things which have a bit of a low, lower level interface provided from the cloud provider. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm I'm um, I have my thinking hat on here, and uh, you know one of the one of the purposes of the show is to kind of help infrastructure IT folks out there. Um, again, most of my audience is going to be infrastructure since that's where they kind of know me from. Uh, but help them sort of move along in their journey. You know, it's, uh, I don't believe that it's safe to sort of camp out where you are. You always have to be growing. You always have to be learning. Technology doesn't stand still. So as technology professionals, you know, we can't stand still, right? And I firmly believe that, you know, there are a few trends, um, you know, public cloud, uh, containers, container orchestration like Kubernetes that are, um, and then along the same lines, also orchestration automation that are, are like, major sort of trends, major factors moving forward. And so I was wondering, you know, it sounds to me like, and I want to get your, th- your, your perspective on this, it sounds to me like if we accept that um, as IT professionals, we, we, in order for us to be more effective, we need to embrace automation orchestration in, in as many aspects of our job as we can. And, and if we also accept that, you know, these sort of bespoke DSLs like CloudFormation or Terraform or Ansible or Salt or any of the other numbers that people use, right, um, are, are at some point going to introduce some constraints on us because of the nature of the DSL. And that's not a, it's not a, a knock against them. It's just an observation that in order to do this, you have to also trade off some other things, right? Yeah. Um, does it then seem like that it seems to me that a natural sort of evolution for somebody as they're moving through this is they're going to embrace infrastructure as code. They might start with a bespoke DSL at first because there is sort of a shallow learning curve for them. They can kind of get in. There's plenty of examples to look at, right? And then maybe grow into something like a Pulumi later on. And as such, it seems like this would be sort of well in the middle of the road as a, you know, a big thing that people have to tackle um, given where we believe the industry to be headed, and I'm just curious to get your thoughts on on that. Like, what do you what do you think? No, I think that's exactly right. That's that's a lot of how we kind of think about it. Is you know we see we see the complexity of cloud infrastructure just uh, growing at an incredible rate, uh, and for lots of great reasons. I mean, the cloud platforms are providing enormously valuable building block services. Uh, the you know cloud native uh, infrastructure and Kubernetes are are creating open source ecosystems that are that are incredibly valuable in terms of moving the abstraction level for for IT uh, up and allowing folks to to move into much more dynamic uh, sort of infrastructure provisioning. Uh, but but all of these provide 
platform building blocks that uh, if you really go and take advantage of them and really start building things in that sort of cloud native way, uh, the complexity of your your infrastructure uh, grows uh, grows tremendously, uh, and this layer on top of those platforms uh, becomes very complex. Uh, and managing that complexity, we really think that you know folks can certainly get started with with Kubernetes or with AWS, just working with the raw platforms that are available there. Work whether it's pointing clicking the console using the CLI, using CloudFormation or, or Kubernetes YAML. But as they get to managing real large systems with these things and start dealing with the, the realities of that complexity, we've seen almost inevitably that they reach for tools to tame that complexity. Uh, we think that, that Pulumi is really tackling that problem at a fairly fundamental level, not just a superficial, let's add some text templating over top of it, but at a really fundamental level, how do we sort of structure, uh, manage, and, and uh, sort of version uh, complex code bases over top of this. And I think to your point, I think that the fundamental trends of the industry are kind of pointing towards uh, towards this from a few different dimensions, uh, both the sort of rise of, of public cloud, the rise of cloud native infrastructure, and the push to sort of from the other end for application development teams to take more and more ownership of uh, some parts of their cloud infrastructure. And I think all of those forces together sort of have led us to believe that there's really a need here um, and that, that folks, as they, as they hit the boundaries of the existing offerings, uh, are, are looking for tools like Pulumi to help solve that. And I think in that case, you probably just answered the question of why you started Pulumi, right? right. And why, why you guys created what you created, uh, because you do have these forces coming from all these different directions, all these different dimensions that are at play here um, that are driving people to need something more uh, than perhaps they were able to get, something that fit better with their particular tool set. In the case of application developers needing to own more of the infrastructure and have responsibility for that. Or, uh, you know, going past the limitations of of, of models where you know, the declarative um, behavior and declarative language are sort of tied together, right? Yeah. Um, is, that, is that accurate? Or? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think, you know... Um you know, myself, uh, Joe, our CEO, uh, and Eric, uh, our, our other founder, you know, I think all of us had, uh, you know, had spent time both in the sort of developer tools space, the uh, kind of traditional developer tool space, and uh, increasingly in the cloud environment. And I think for all of us, I think kind of seeing the state of the art around the tools that folks were using in the, in the cloud space, we really felt like the rate of, of growth of the complexity there was much faster than the rate of growth of the kind of tools to support that complexity. Uh, we thought that a lot of what's been done in the application development space could apply. And so I think we, we really uh, felt like there was an opportunity. I think from since we launched the, you know, I think we launched uh, the Plumi open source project back about nine months ago. Uh, and we've seen sort of incredible uh, uptake from the community around it uh, across a lot of different scenarios, so across AWS and Azure and GCP, but, but really increasingly much focus around just the pure Kubernetes side as well, uh, which has been really interesting to see uh, just how, how much demand there is for, for kind of tools to help manage some of the complexity on the Kubernetes side as well. So I just had a question pop in my head, and then and after, after I ask you this question, uh, we'll transition into sort of talking about how folks might get started learning Pulumi, like what are the resources yeah. available to them and, and sort of what you would recommend and sort of the path that they should take forward. But the, the, the question that I pop in my head is, you know, there's a lot of push from a lot of different vendors um, with this idea of multi-cloud, right? Um, of saying, you know, I want to I want to have applications or uh, maybe even pieces of applications. I don't, I'm not so sure about that, but spread across multiple cloud providers for, for whatever reason. We could, we don't need to dive into the, the you know, mess that is, you know, lock in and all of that, right? But um, uh, I, I was just curious, does the 
the functionality that Plumi offers, does it streamline any of that? Because like folks who get into, let's say Terraform, for example, right? Immediately think, oh, I'm going to be able to do, you know, multi-cloud easier because there's an Azure provider and there's an AWS provider, but mm-hmm. it really doesn't. Like it, you really just end up writing an AWS version and an Azure version and, and there's really no sort of like anything there. And so I'm just curious, just what, what are you guys thinking in that space? Yeah, so I mean, multi-cloud is a, is a big, actually, a really big component of, I think, why a lot of the folks coming to Plumi are sort of interested in it. And there's, I'd say there's actually three different kind of dimensions of the multi-cloud uh, kind of answer. And, and they're kind of related to the point you mentioned about kind of the realities of what multi-cloud needs for different organizations. Uh, I'd say one is similar to something like Terraform, and it's been an important part of, I think, why Terraform has uh, has had, had success over the last several years, uh, is the fact that there is, even though you don't really, you know, when you build your application in Terraform for AWS, it doesn't mean you get an Azure implementation for free by any means, but it does mean that sort of the skills you learn around authoring that infrastructure uh, are somewhat transferable and if you've got Terraform embedded into your CI workflows and your, you know, your your team understands how to author and manage complex applications inside that, uh, that is there's a lot of reusable skills there across different platforms, and so you can draw the boundaries between different clouds uh, in different ways. And Plumi has all of those benefits, uh, and so you know by by having the same model that you can use, the same language, the same uh, the same kind of shape of APIs. Uh, across different cloud platforms, it means that you know you can move across those with with more ease. the The second piece is though that, and this is where Plumi gets more unique, is that by being able to build higher level abstractions, uh, folks can actually build abstractions that do abstract away details of the cloud providers. and And this can be either at very sort of simple levels, like you know folks can uh, you know if they have if they're deploying Kubernetes, managed Kubernetes onto both AWS and Azure. They can sort of describe their own, you know, new Kubernetes cluster that, uh, can, you know, it has a configuration variable that says, "Do I want to be AWS or Azure?" and sets things up, you know, differently on each platform. And so that kind of thing is expressible. We've worked with several customers who kind of want that flexibility, even though they're primarily on one cloud today. They want to know that they could build the interfaces uh, that were cloud agnostic for their domain, uh, and then you know have the flexibility to swap those out in the future if they have uh, organizational requirements to move to other cloud platforms. And so it's not so much about the, the reality of being multi-cloud at one point in time, but more the hedging against the, the change that might need to happen within the organization as, as change happens across cloud providers and making sure that your investments are, uh, are still accruing value. And, and then I think the last part of the answer is really kind of Kubernetes itself uh, has really, I think, a big part of the the, uh, the the popularity of Kubernetes has grown from the fact that it is a hedge against sort of that cloud vendor uh, uh, lock-in. And so, you know, Kubernetes is obviously very popular uh, outside of public cloud, but also uh, what we found is increasingly just a huge uh, transition of folks in public cloud uh, into Kubernetes as well. And, and I think a lot of that is just the ability to have a standards-based compute API to work with uh, that can be, you know, means that more and more of the work that's being done is not uh, tied to AWS or Azure, but actually could move across platforms if there was that need. And so Pulumi obviously lets you work with Kubernetes and then lets you work with a combination of Kubernetes and cloud, which you can, uh, you can sort of abstract across the two of those. Uh, so that you can sort of get both multi-cloud benefits on public cloud, but then also the multi-cloud benefits of of using Kubernetes and having the flexibility to retarget that. Uh, and so, so all of these just I, I feel like generally provide uh, the tools to have really strong multi-cloud 
uh, approaches. doesn't mean you get to write your code once and just magically run it everywhere, but it does mean you have the tools to evolve and reuse as much as possible of your investments over time. Okay, got it. Um, yeah, I was primarily thinking of the building your own abstractions, but the other two points that you make are absolutely valid, no, no doubt about it. Um, transitioning just a bit then. Okay, so let's say that there's a listener to the show. Um, that listener says, uh, hey, I'm an experienced programmer. I have background, you know, I've, I've done development in insert language X here, right? Assuming it's one that Bloomy integrates with. Uh, where would somebody like that get started? Yeah, so I think the best place uh, for that user, really actually for anyone, the best place to get started is going to be just jumping into plumi.io is sort of the, the uh, project site for the open source Plumi project. Uh, there's a get started and install links right there on the uh, front page that you can uh, you can use. Uh, we kind of give you a few different places you can start there. Um depending on the language and depending on the platform in particular that you're targeting. If you're targeting AWS, if you're targeting Kubernetes, we'll give you different starting points uh, to help you kind of get started in those environments. Uh, but yeah, you should be able to jump in there uh, just probably within the first 10 minutes. Uh, you should be able to have your first kind of application deployed with Pulumi. And then from there, we have uh, we have a lot of different material inside that website around sort of documentation and, and getting started links. We also have an examples repository, uh, you know, github.com slash Pulumi slash examples which has uh, 50 or 60 different examples of different kind of platforms and languages uh, that you may want to target. And so you can probably find something within that repo that's close to the specific kind of uh, problem domain you're working in uh, to get a sense of how that problem domain ends up uh, kind of projecting itself into uh, the Pulumi experience. Uh, so I'd say, you know, those two are, are good places to start. Uh, but yeah, just starting on Plumi.io, uh, folks should be able to get up and running uh, uh, very quickly. And have you guys noticed any trends in terms, and I don't even know if you have this visibility or not, but any sort of trends in terms of the languages or platforms that are seeing the most use with Pulumi right now? Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, uh, in terms of the the, the cloud targets, um, I think it's sort of been largely not too surprising on the uh, on the public clouds. I mean, AWS has been has been the biggest uh, area, and so we've, we've put a little bit of extra effort in there. Um, but Azure and GCP in that order have then been uh, been been platforms we're seeing a lot of users target as well. Kubernetes has actually really uh, kind of surprised me a bit at just how much uh, of the usage has shifted to Kubernetes. We actually, when we launched nine months ago, we we had uh, primitive Kubernetes support, but not not full featured. And we launched uh, two or three months after that, we launched sort of full support for Kubernetes. And ever since then, we've just seen a huge amount of uh, of usage of Pulumi in that space, and, and a lot of usage of Pulumi for folks who are doing both Kubernetes and managed cloud uh, in one of the other clouds. Uh, and so, really, it's uh, those four platforms are certainly the, the the bulk of it. And AWS and Kubernetes, I'd say, are, are probably the two the two biggest today. And in terms of languages, uh, we we do support you know JavaScript JavaScript slash TypeScript, uh, Python, and Go. Uh, a lot of our early focus was on JavaScript and TypeScript, and so those uh, those are still sort of the languages that have the biggest ecosystem around them. Uh, but Python, we've done a lot of work for recently. We've seen a big uh, a big growth in our usage on Python as well. And Go is more in preview right now, and so uh, we have a smaller user base there. But that's one that uh, we're investing in a bit uh, in the near future. Okay, great. Um, so following up on that conversation then about how somebody can get started, if somebody is not an experienced programmer, they're saying, "Hey." Uh, you know, I know a little bit about programming. I understand some of the basics, um, you know, but I'm not I'm not really experienced. Would your answer to where they should start, would that be any different? Or would you say to them as well, start at Bloomi.io to get your installation up and running and then go look at the examples? Or are there other resources that may be more useful for somebody who's a little less 
uh, skilled or experienced in the programming realm? Yeah, so in general, I'd say folks can uh, get started in the same way and kind of just go through and get the experience. Most of the you know the code examples are are not complex uh, for the for the sort of getting started uh, code examples, and so uh, you know there, there won't be much of a learning curve just to get in and get started. Uh, we do though have also for folks especially coming from Terraform, which is sort of one of the big uh, audiences where we're seeing a lot of our, our users come from Terraform. Uh, we do have a, an open source tool called TF to Pulumi, which you can kind of point at your TF files and, and get a kind of Pulumi, uh, Pulumi files generated that are mapped to the same uh, resources. And so that can be a way for folks who have existing assets to kind of get a feel for what Pulumi is like um, uh, if they want to sort of bootstrap and, and, and sort of uh, understand that from a position where they already understand the, the kind of Terraform world or something like that. Um, but generally, I'd say, uh, you know, folks, we, we've seen a lot of our users uh, in the same position that kind of you're talking about where, you know, they weren't they weren't deep JavaScript or Python experts uh, prior to coming to Pulumi. They actually quite enjoy uh, getting started with Pulumi. They don't find it too hard right off the bat. And then there's a bit of a learning curve as they want to integrate some of that additional complexity in. Uh, but it's mostly a pay for play kind of thing where, you know, they only have to learn those concepts once they want to actually take advantage of them. All right. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't think the answer would be all that different, but I had to ask just in case. Um, I do think that the TF to Pulumi tool sounds very interesting. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in when you're moving into a space that is new to you, trying to find a bridge or some sort of adjacency. And so if you could, uh, it sounds like folks could use uh, their Terraform uh, experience if they have um, Terraform experience with TF to Pulumi to help them sort of bridge that gap into and say, oh, I know what this looks like here. This is what it looks like there. Oh, okay, I begin to make mental associations and mental models that would uh, speed the learning process. Yeah, exactly right. Great. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're about to wrap up here. Um, Luke, I wonder any, any sort of closing thoughts or, or final things you wanted to share with, uh, with the listeners? I mean, any sort of like final tips and tricks or do's and don'ts or anything of that nature based on, you know, your own experience crafting Pulumi and working with users and seeing, you know, sort of the, the potholes that they hit or the successes that they have? Yeah, but I think uh, really the, the biggest one for us is just, you know, we, you know, big believers in sort of the, the value that all these different platforms, you know, AWS, Azure, GCP, Kubernetes, what have you, uh, are bringing. And we, we, uh, just, there's amazing building blocks there. And one of the things that I think we find is that, uh, that really folks are actually kind of being held back a little bit from taking advantage of all the, the features of these platforms, and all the capabilities of platforms, because it's, it's actually hard to kind of take advantage of them. There's a big learning curve around each one of these capabilities, uh, and you know, they're kind of hard to bring in. And so one of the things we really hope and really are excited about Pulumi helping with is making it easier for folks to bring in these capabilities, take advantage of more of these uh, sort of benefits of these cloud-native platforms, uh, and so we're really excited about sort of the, the opportunity both for, for Pulumi, but also generally for folks to really maximize the, the benefits they're getting from, uh, from their cloud platforms. And so I think we're, we're, we're seeing some really nice things happening in this space, uh, and we're just happy to be participating in it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Luke. I appreciate it. As we close, uh, I wonder if you would be willing to go ahead and share maybe online contact information, uh, not an email address, but maybe if people want to follow you on Twitter or something of that nature, if you're active on any of those platforms. Yeah, so I'm uh, at Luke Hoban on uh, Twitter, uh, Luke Hoban on GitHub, and uh, we actually have a Pulumi uh, community Slack as well uh, that you can get to from Pulumi.io, uh, and that's a great place to drop in if you have questions, comments, feedback about uh, about Pulumi. We have a very active uh, user base kind of participating in that Slack, um, and I'm in there uh, pretty frequently, so uh, happy to answer any questions there as well. 
Perfect. Great. Thanks, Luke. And, and listeners, I'll be sure and put copies, links to all the stuff in the show notes. So when, uh, when you are done listening and you want to go back and say, hey, we're, let me go check out this Palumi Slack or whatever, we'll, we'll have a, a link for you, so that's no problem. I want to, uh, again, thank Luke for joining us. I really appreciate uh, his time uh, chatting about Palumi and sort of the forces that um, caused them to, to create this and the, the advantages he thinks it brings. I want to thank the listeners for taking the time to listen. We appreciate uh, you being here, giving us your time, giving us your attention. We hope that the show was useful. We're always open to feedback, so feel free to reach out to me, uh, Scott Lowe, your host. I'm at Scott underscore low on Twitter. You can also use the podcast handle at FSJ podcast on Twitter. Um, and, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Um, also if you are so inclined, we'd love for you to leave, leave us a review on iTunes or uh, Google play or stitcher or wherever you got the podcast from. We're available on all kinds of different platforms just to let folks know that, uh, you're enjoying the show. You're finding it useful. We do appreciate you listening and, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks.